Hello and welcome to Design Untangled with me, Chris Mears. And as usual, not with me is Carla Lindate. And she's not with me this episode because I've sent her out into the field for a change to get some interviews. Um, And she's going to be talking about design principles, which is something you may have heard of. Uh, I have to say, they're not something I've grappled with for quite a few years now, but after hearing some of the tips and tricks in this interview, it's something that I'd like to revisit myself. Uh, So after this fairly pointless introduction, we'll get straight into the interview. So enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening uh, to Sun and Tangle again. Um, We're really glad with all the new um, listeners that we have every day, and especially in the US. Apparently, we have lots of people in the US, so thank you very much for listening. Today, we have a very special guest, someone I actually really admire, not just because of his um, design skills and UX skills, but also for his like leadership style, which is really cool. So thank you so much, Kieran. Kieran Leppard from his group creative director at Huge. Welcome to be here. Good morning. Happy to be here. Yeah, that's good. I'm really excited to have you here because I know you're going to give um, a lot of advice to the people that we we have as our listeners. They uh, Obviously, they, we are looking for advice around design principles and what they mean and why they're important. And, you know, we all heard about di- different uh, perspectives about design principles. So today we're going to focus on that topic. However, before we dip, go deeper into that, um, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about yourself. So I, you have a very interesting um, background. You actually studied artificial intelligence, didn't you? I did. Uh, many <laughs> moons ago, I, uh, well, back in the 1980s, I grew up as a Nintendo kid. <laughs> and I desperately wanted to get into computer game design. And so um, I studied computer science and artificial intelligence because that was my routine back then. It was all coding. Uh, C sharp was the only back uh, was the only coding language you could use to get into it. I quite quickly worked out early on that I wasn't the best coder in the world. I'm pretty good, um, but it gets quite quite complicated quite quickly. AI was nowhere near as mature as it is today, mm-hmm. and it was really about the theory of AI um, and how it could be applied but also like hard coding neural networks yourself, which is pretty difficult. Um, but in my last year of uni, I studied a course called Human-Computer Interaction. One of the core reading books was, at the time, Donald Norman's Psychology of Everyday Things, now Design of Everyday Things. And that was the book that really got me into kind of UX at the time, which was this bridge between design and, at the time, software engineering. Yeah, that's great. So the role that you're playing right now, because, you know, you're obviously a group creative director and, when you talk about creative directors, you talk more about UX and visual as well, isn't it? Or because you have a very interesting UX background. So yeah. how did you end up being a creative director as a whole? I think it was deliberate. I wanted to experience more than just experience design. I had a few large roles working in kind of digital advertising. Um, I did some more sort of like Marcoms type roles mm-hmm. and campaign type work. Um, and I wanted to be more on the creative side because I've been very technical. Studying computer science is incredibly technical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to kind of balance myself out. I've all, I'd always loved creativity and art. So mm-hmm. it was a nice kind of outlet for me to kind of move into. Um, as I've got more senior, I guess as well, it's good to have an appreciation of all of the fields that surround kind of UX and product design. Yeah, that's great. So now we go into design principles. Mm-hmm. So design principles, like for me, they just make they help teams um, keep focused on what the product essence is, and you know, um, and just make sure they have the right framework to make decisions. But what is your definition of design principles? Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? 
I do agree with it. Um, I think principles for me are, they're not a hard and fast rule. They should help define how something feels. They should help be something that helps a customer kind of understand why your experience is kind of different to someone else's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often see quite a lot of times like principles being used like on an individual project level, but also at a brand level. And I think that that's the kind of the trick for any designer is to understand where those principles should be applied, applied and why. Um, because at a brand level, you are trying to differentiate against mm-hmm. different companies, right? Um, you want to stand out. You want to be. You want to feel different. But at a project level, it's just about helping you make decisions as you go quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you might have different sets of principles, right? You might need principles that have to work with your overall brand principles. And I think depending on the size of the organization, whether you're working for a large enterprise versus whether you're working for a startup, you're going to have to have kind of different types of principles yeah that's always a challenge isn't it because when you start working for a like a big client and they already have their principles it's kind of like why and how would you come up with your own project principles what do you think that's the process that people should follow to do that yeah i think it all depends about the product or the service you're creating yeah so um if you're someone like nike let's just as an example everyone knows nike their e-com experience principles about heroing their products about um, making them desirable, about showing the latest technology they have in their products and heroing their athletes can be slightly different principles to if they're building a product which is about designed for runners, about helping them become better, Mm -hmm. train more often, become faster and learn with others. And I think that's the the challenge for any designer is to work out, do you have a universal set of brand principles that apply to all your products and services? But then there might be a set of different rules or principles don't mind what we call them that apply to specific products that have a unique audience and a unique set of features Mm -hmm. so how do you actually do it so do you think then you take the brand principles and then you look at your product and then you say okay so what is unique about this product that i actually need to create a design principle for Um, because I've seen projects for example when we see things like okay we have to be it has to be easy to use or it has to be like mobile first which is kind of like a given so how do you make them unique so I hate those (laughs) both of those I don't if any product that's designed or service that isn't mobile first or easy to use is just kind of disastrous right from the start (laughs) I think they are as I said their principle when you come about them I think you have to start with the brand and the brand experience and how that brand wants to be perceived. Mm-hmm. And then I think you do have to go and talk to the organization, talk to real customers and deeply understand what it is they're looking from from a product and really develop yourself a pretty round view uh, or rounded out view of what it is you want to design. And then that's where the magic of the designer and the role of the designer gets really interesting because then you have to translate all of that data, all of that analysis into something tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I typically like to do it is to have a core principle or something in the middle that can tie all principles together, Mm -hmm. an organizing idea, a North Star, whatever you want to call it. Um, And then all of your principles kind of ladder up into that one principle. It gives you a hook to hook against. Okay. And then give specific examples around what those principles should be and what they shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, Like a typical brand guideline, because I think it's very easy to people to interpret a principle in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they're sort of so vague enough that they can mean anything, or they're too specific enough that they don't leave the design team um, enough flexibility to design so I think the important thing is to, to to test them actually to test your own principles with people before you say this is a hard set of hard and fast rules and I made them up on my own yeah that's good so can you give me an example of a good design principle or at least a good set of design principles and 
do you have a particular number that you need to aim for or I think they need to be okay so number is a good thing I think you know a lot people have done their data rams Google's Apple's are all famous of doing their 10 I think 10 is like a nice number that everyone can kind of feel like that feels like it's substantial enough but I can't remember 10 things um, I prefer things in threes and fives at least at a core level because um, I do think if you can't recall them then as a design team you need to have them printed up you need to have them in your design studio mm. you need to be referencing them in design reviews with a scorecard otherwise what's the point of having them if you're not actually going to use them to make the change and certainly I don't think it's necessarily worth it um, but I do think it's difficult to also do that because you don't want the, the checklist to be so restrictive um, good example I mean I did originally like some of Google's original ones mm-hmm. things like faster is better because they're an engineering company and it really said okay well, Google takes time to make sure that things operate really quickly because they know that if things are, I think it's 0.1 millisecond faster, mm-hmm. that enhances usability. That is something that's very unique to Google as an engineering company, but it's also, um, it's very specific, right? Fast yeah. is good. Um, and so I really like that as kind of a set of principles. Um, and again, you know, that's good for them as a product company. Mm-hmm. Um, someone that's a service company might be way more about the customer. I think Google's are about them and how you should design. Yeah. Other company like Zappos, I think theirs is all about the customer. Although saying that Google's first one is follow the customer. No, design for the customer and all else fails. Uh, sorry, all else follows, all fails. <laughs> um, so, you know, they have to be unique. I would say that they're customer centric as well and they're easily kind of memorable yeah memorable that's probably the best thing yeah we already meant you already mentioning um a, a few tips for teams to actually um stay true to the principles throughout mm-hmm. a development program i mean we've been we've been on projects that could take you know maybe three months and you're going too fast so then you forget about them mm-hmm. or maybe taking like three years and then it's just too slow that you like in in the same way forget about them so apart from like print them off and just making sure you have that consistency every time you like tackle a design uh, a, um, a design challenge what other tips you can give people to make sure they don't forget about them and also if there is a chance to evolve them as you go through the process yeah so i think the first part is i mean it's up to the design you know the way you set your ways of working and kind of your ceremonies is to decide you know I'm going to check off against these things. I'm mm-hmm. actually going to reference them as a design leader, if you are that, or as just as a designer yourself, to consciously make the effort to go through and say, okay, this is this customer. Does this particular principle hold true for them? Can I see or feel parts of this in the end-to-end experience or on specific pages? Um, and also, it's not just about the work. It could also help you prioritize your backlog or what you're going to do. So, you know, here's a feature compared to another feature. Does this feature adhere to more of our principles than mm-hmm. necessary one that doesn't? That's very good. Um, and what's your second question? Um, no, just saying that if the principles can evolve, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think can you change them? Evolve, I yeah. think as your offering evolves, I wouldn't say there's something that should change. I think maybe in the early days when you're learning, maybe they change a little bit more if you're mm-hmm. testing them on a smaller set of projects or products. Um, I think they should change mm-hmm. as your business changes and sort of customer expectation changes. But I don't think they should change. They're like company vision that maybe changes every three to five years until you hit your purpose or your business objectives. I don't think, they, unless something's going drastically wrong, <laughs> I don't think they should change too often. Otherwise, you won't be able to train your design teams to design against them. You won't have to train yourself to think about what's good and what's bad about them. Um, I would also say like maybe using customer research, either from testing on actual products or during research to kind of validate your principles. If customers say things or observe things that you feel ticks off against a principle, 
that's a good verbatim to record mm-hmm. and show team members, hey, listen, this is where this person said this thing. We feel that that feels like a good thing to be saying about a particular feature of a product. And, you know, when that does happen, you should hero them and make them, you know, celebrate them and yeah. celebrate the people that design them. That's really good. I think also... Um is there any particular style? Because I've seen uh, design principles written, for example, as a first person, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, related to your comment. You know, maybe it's just a, a voice of the customer kind of thing, like, done, I don't know, whatever the customer is saying about yeah. the design principle. Or is it more about, you know, the Google style where it's more about the organization and what they want to promise to the customer? Is it a particular style that you think is better or worse? Or do you think both work? I think they both work. Um, I actually genuinely think it depends on the organization. I think Google as a company is quite customer focused anyway. Mm-hmm. I think if you're working for a more traditional business and older businesses, maybe not have that customer centricity built into them, mm-hmm. um, that it's probably worth starting with the customer voice, maybe. Or doing both, right? Doing a principle that says, this is how the principle feels, and, or this is what the principle is, and this is how it should feel or sound to a customer. Oh, yeah. That's so you can construct your principles. Here's the title, nice and short and snappy. Here's a description of it. Here's how it feels to a customer, and maybe here's a checklist of examples. Now, you wouldn't want them on your like quick reference 10 list, but at least you know you've got the detail there that kind of, if you needed to, you can go down to a greater level of detail. Yeah, that's great. So in terms of like, because um, you keep referencing uh, design leader and design leader when you're talking about design principles, right? Um, if you are like a junior designer, you go into an organization and onto a project um, and you kind of feel that there is lack of design principles or whatever. How this person can actually start, you know, talking to their, obviously their um, colleagues and also who, basically what I'm trying to ask is what's, who's the responsibility of designing, of creating these yeah. design principles? So that's a good is, question. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think naturally kind of UX designers or product designers want to own them because they feel like it's a similar design activity. There is a lot of overlap though between brand strategy and brand design mm. and uh, brand agencies and how they perceive it and marketing teams. Um, typically I like you know, as a UX designer and a strategist I would like them to be owned by a design function yeah. um, especially if they relate just to products and services um, if they don't if they are a brand level and a smaller team then I think maybe you could get a universal set that apply across everything mm-hmm. um, I think in terms of like constructing them I think it should be a rounded team effort I think if you come from one very siloed point of view one department one business unit you're only ever going to get your biases and actually mm. they should be as rounded out as possible so we should consult with technology and operations and as many people as possible mm-hmm. if a junior designer feels like they're needed i think the first thing is to kind of articulate how the product or service could improve with design principles or what's the problem they would solve for okay uh, because you know some people like, i've seen pr- projects where there's too many principles and it's like, oh here's another set of principles or here's another set of brand guidelines you know everyone rolls there if you work at a a large organization long enough, you know the brand refreshes come around every three or five years and it just becomes top priority and everything has to get kind of updated as quickly as possible. And it's a bit of an eye roll because people don't feel, they have to believe in them. So I think the first thing is, you know, what's the problem you're going to solve for and then can you make them actionable enough that people actually believe in them? Okay, that's a good word actually, actionable. So related to that um, actionable <laughs> principles of design principle, how would you, just to give an example to uh, our listeners, how would you give, um, how, in, an, in a context of a user journey, for example, or a feature, mm-hmm. how do you get, then translate a design principle into that? And how do you make sure they both link together? I don't know if I'm asking the right question here, but 
basically I would, I would like to do to do is give you an example how you might bring the same principles in, into designing a yeah. particular user journey or feature. So I think, as I said, right, really early on, you could use them to inform a product, right? And it's certainly a feature that you're going to build. And mm-hmm. I think once you've got that feature, whether you use the you know, design sprint methodology or any sort of co-creation or early sketching session, I think is to use those principles to level set everyone that's designing it. Mm-hmm. Um Use them throughout the design, early, early design to validate, you know, does this feel like this? Does it really genuinely feel whatever's the not easy to use principle you want to use? <laughs> yeah. Do we think this is going to make this kind of feel distinguishable? Do we think it's going to help us stand out? Is it going to help us deliver against customer expectations and business kind of needs? Um, and then continually reference them, like much like a persona, as often as you can throughout the design principle. And I would say, sorry, design process. Start building it into your language when you mm. do a stand-up review with colleagues. You know, I feel this is insert principle name because it is doing this. I feel that this is more like this principle because it is now doing this consistently. And like bake it in to as much as many stages of the design process as you can. And so eventually, when you stand back one time and look at a design review happening, you should hear words from your principles bubbling up. I think if people are talking about them in that way. And that's a success, a successful set of design principles. If they just become a paperweight and go in everyone's drawer and just become another part of the vernacular that's there, another <laughs> glossary, then I think they failed. Yeah. But that's why I think it's not just about writing them. I think once you write them, that's great. Mm. Then you've got to hero them and say these are the standard. Once they're the standard, you then got to kind of make sure they're consistent and used. And even when they, if they do start to feel tired and people stop using them, back to your previous question, maybe that's a point to sort of zhuzh them up and redo them or just redraw them or reframe them to make them feel relevant again. Or if a new piece of technology comes out, let's just say, not particularly new, but some sort of voice service, let's go, okay, just as a a spike, as a point of view, here is like a point of view of how our principles could apply to voice. Mm -hmm. So, oh, okay, cool. Didn't think of that's how our principles could work or any other new piece of emerging technology. That's good. I mean, I I run a project once where um, for a brand that for them randomness and delight and surprise and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, treasure hunting was really really important and is on a brand level and then we started translating that into the digital experience but then. Um, things like uh, interrupting or randomness or you know things like that in an e-commerce um, environment don't necessarily work okay. so the client actually came up with lots of like very very random and very not good UX <laughs> examples of how but they were actually um, responding to the principle that we created but then um, they were basically against the experience like you know mm-hmm. in e-commerce environment so one of these was like as you're checking out you will suddenly get this random like saucepan in the middle of your checkout for a bike and something like that and then you okay. could give you like three seconds to add it to the basket so it was it was positive because the whole organization was believing in it but then it started like having we, we started having issues controlling the client on what is a good execution of a design principle and what is a bad execution of the design principle so do you have any um advice around how do you make sure that um even though people believe in them they don't get too crazy about them so i think that's a good point about training and appropriateness about it so when they come out back to my point about helping people understand that it's probably much like a brand guideline good examples and do's and don'ts yeah Um, because i think you're right once you um you could use a principle in the wrong way and something like a checkout that should be like 
really your brand element should be very little until maybe the end when you celebrate the purchase and say thank you exactly um but generally during checkout no one likes to be surprised during a checkout right (laughs) unless it's something money off yeah exactly that's a good surprise money off free shipping or something for free um i would say that is the only sort of surprise people would want um and honestly i think that would just be about learning and education and kind of shared understanding of what they are Mm -hmm. um i also wouldn't want to say like you know to me (laughs) design principles should be tools not rules Mm -hmm. you don't want people to feel like there is a oh don't do this don't do this we're the kind of experience or design police it shouldn't be that they should be enabling they should help an organization make better designs Mm -hmm. feel like they can create something that customers really love and will help move the brand in the right way so yeah it's it's a good question um and i think i don't have a hard and fast answer but i think it would just be about sort of giving examples like do's and don'ts would you get examples from like other brands perhaps i think think it's very early on and you don't have them yourself i think that's a good way to kind of show it because i think everyone can relate to someone that's doing things cool now like airbnb or spotify oh okay yeah okay they do that i understand why they do that and maybe some from competitors yeah competitors are doing it um i actually think from learning from brands outside of category is really really useful yeah. right so sometimes if, if you are a service brand let's just say you are a bank um there's no reason why you can't learn from the way that service happens at a high-end hotel or the way that service happens at a high-end retailer yeah the white glove treatment, as it were, that, that, that's a good service principle. It's not necessarily just um, related to finance. Yeah. Because we all know financial experiences aren't very good. <laughs> all right. Well, um, is there anything else that you want to add in terms of design principles and why they're important and, you know, how teams can actually p- make them part of their day-to-day jobs? I would just say have fun with them. Yeah. I think use them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like illustrations or iconography with principles. Mm, good. Um, just so you have a metaphor, potentially. I mean, they should not work with just a short, pithy title, but I think if you have some sort of illustration and you put some good effort into them to make them look great, that people should start to understand where those principles come into action. Um, I think maybe as a UX designer and early on, maybe you could think about where a certain principle in your customer journey might be more applicable. Mm-hmm. So to your previous point about, you know, actually serendipity and surprise might not be good in checkout, but mm-hmm. it could be very good early in the awareness process mm-hmm. or around a, a churn point or around a customer, um, I don't know, centenary or ceremony and annual oh it's your birthday so here's something or here you've been a customer for two years so we'd like to give you something back or you've done your 10th purchase so i think thinking about different principles and different areas that they apply across a customer journey map or a customer journey that's good to stop maybe a bit of that stuff happening like craziness okay before we wrap up very quickly we have a lot of um people in our in our audience uh, that are looking for advice on portfolio development and looking for jobs mm-hmm. um, you know design UX UI hybrid skills um, and actually most recently we had people asking you know what books people should read what things people should study so I know it's a bit of a broad question yeah. but do you have any advice to give to junior designers at the moment in a very like always changing environment where you know skill sets need to evolve any any advice or any tips people should have reading wise um i really am a big fan of the list apart books or the book apart books series of short books good primers written by some very smart people and usually the topics are very up to date Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's the blog a list apart and they have a set of books called a book apart right through from typography to design research to emotional design Um, they're really great and if you're like me where you don't have much time they're quite short and sharp and easy to read 
Um, I think in terms of magazines, .NET Magazine, Creative Arts, they're a good way of a summary each month. You know, I get overwhelmed by my blogs and my feeds and my newsletters that come through. Um, so to just have time to sit back and read a bit of print, I actually think um, there's some recent research by um, The Economist who have said they think they're the only, they're the only publication I think that's seen their base grow in the last two decades. Um, and that's mostly because they think they work just in monthly release cycles. It's not an always on, I can never finish everything. You can actually finish something. Uh, I've also just started reading a, a, a magazine called MISC um, by IDEO Couture. Um, it's really high-minded, but it's got some really big themes in it that mm-hmm. I think will keep you thinking about the future and looking forward. Um, and then I would just say, like, you know, just generally keeping yourself up to date on the latest tools. I think prototyping for UX designers and rich prototyping is becoming more and more important mm-hmm. and bringing an idea to life very, very quickly. So, from, you know, wireframes not maybe dying out on all projects, but certainly being able to go from idea and feature and sketch into a lightweight prototype very, very quickly is mm-hmm. going to be more and more important. Whether that means learning a bit of code, I'm a bit of a fan of everyone learning a bit of code, just so you have an appreciation for your medium. Um, but certainly Flinto, Framer, Principle, a lot of these rapid prototyping tools, I would say have a grasp of at least one or two of them because you don't know the design teams that you'll be going into and what tools they'll be using. Uh, but get yourself on SlideShare, no, Skillshare or lynda.com, mm-hmm. just self-learn and self-train. There's tons of great resources out there. Um, I also think you know, the world is diversifying very quickly. So it's just pure screen-based design. It's not. It's just one particular route. Whether yeah. you want to go AR or VR, whether you want to go voice design, conversational UI, as in on a screen. There's a lot of different avenues to go mm-hmm. down. Almost too much to learn. So I'd probably start with the core of web and apps, but then maybe start to think about something you want to specialize in because there's a ton of exciting work out there. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you again. Thank you very much My for pleasure. being here. It's been great having you. Great insights for people for the people. Thank you. No worries.